Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. This is now a pandemic of testing. It is absolutely not a pandemic of illness. You know, we can't damage businesses on hunches. This is what the government have done all the way through. They're hunches and guesses. When, when, when is a lobby correspondent going to say to the Prime Minister or Jonathan Van Tam or Chris Whitty, why are we doing ten times more tests than Germany? Well, I had a dream a couple of nights ago, you'll love this, where I was actually at the press briefing and I was called (laughs) to ask a question. I was brilliant, honestly. One. We have liftoff. Welcome to a whole new year of Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello. And me, Liam Halligan. Well, Christmas is over and a new year is upon us. And while some parts of the UK are enduring more anti-COVID restrictions than others, we've so far avoided a return to full-scale lockdown. And rightly so, co-pilot. The Omicron variant of COVID is, we now know, almost certainly a lot less harmful than earlier forms of the virus. Yes, the total number of COVID cases recorded in the UK is high. Yet we're conducting 20 tests per thousand people per day. That's around four times more than in the US and almost 10 times more than Germany. Yet less than 10% of UK tests are positive, around half the rate of infection in America and Germany, a fact you're unlikely to hear on mainstream television news. In the New Year's honours, Alison, you'll have been delighted, I know, to see that Jenny (laughs) Harries, the health apparatchik who discouraged us from holding Christmas parties, She's been made a dame. Surely it won't be long before your friend Neil Ferguson of Imperial College is knighted (laughs) for his services to medical forecasting. The man who in mid-December was claiming that even in the best case scenario, there would be 3,000 deaths per day from or with COVID. The most recent peak on late December was 119 deaths. We're in for another year of politics, I think, co-pilot Pearson with April due to be marked by a serious cost-of-living squeeze ahead of local elections in May. But at least we've got each other, our wonderful listeners, and our weekly trips to Planet Normal, in our rockets of right thinking, our capsule of common sense, our flying refuge of reasoned views. Happy New Year, Halligan. Are you not knighted? Have I missed that? (laughs) It must have got lost in the post, the stiff card invitation. (laughs) Obviously, it decapitated the postman or cut his hand off or something. If Tony Blair can become a knight of the garter, Halligan can become a knight of the fishnet tights. <laughs> Have we laboured in vain on Planet Normal? As for Jenny Harris, Thomasina Tittlemouse, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Did you see that thing? 
Chris Whitty, Jonathan Van Tam, both knighted ahead of the public inquiry into the handling of COVID, which might raise a few question marks, mightn't it? This is the same Chris Whitty Halligan, who was only recently telling us there is nothing good about Omicron, which as the South Africans did try to tell us as a a little purring pussycat compared to the, you know, the tiger that we saw 21 months ago. Yeah, I mean, what a year, really. I mean, the year ahead, what are we looking at this week? I think it's a really interesting week for us because I do think there's some cause for optimism, cautious optimism, as the Prime Minister would say, because I think a lot of the things we have been talking about since Planet Normal was set up are starting now to really be articulated in the mainstream. And I think we're obviously seeing a shift in government as well. You'll remember, Liam, that in the last Planet Normal before Christmas, I said I'd had a tip-off that a lockdown was pencilled in for the 28th of December. But Boris was under huge pressure, clearly, from Tory rebels, some members of the cabinet, and from ne'er-do-wells like you and me, saying the data simply didn't justify it. So the PM did hold his nerve, and New Year's Eve wasn't cancelled, and we are still sticking with Plan B. But the situation we find ourselves in now should be fantastic. I've got no doubt now we're really near the end of the pandemic Omicron is basically a common cold, but we are still doing one and a half million tests every day in the UK, often on perfectly healthy people. And over one million people, co-pilots, are currently self-isolating with predictable consequences. The country, everyone will have heard, is grinding to a halt. The spectre of the winter of discontent, which you, Liam, raised back in August, is casting a chill. Bins are overflowing in some parts of the country. The rats are having a fantastic time. COVID-related staff shortages are affecting, you know, trains and schools. And more than 110,000 NHS staff, that's nearly one in 10, were absent on New Year's Eve, with almost 50,000 said to be sick or self-isolating at home because of COVID. Now, you'll have to forgive some cynicism, co-pilot. Never. To me, From you? <laughs> just a little, just a soup song. <laughs> a wafer thin mint of cynicism. An after eight of cynicism. So how many of these 50,000 NHS staff who tested positive were actually ill. I don't know about you, Liam, but people I know who've had Omicron over Christmas talked about scratchy throat, feeling a bit tired or having no symptoms at all. Yet each one of them has had to self-isolate for seven days. See what you think. The situation I think we're in now is the government has perhaps unwittingly made it respectable to not go to work if you are perfectly fit. Absolute madness. Skyver's charter. I think there's a lot in that. And I think what's happened in recent weeks is that polite society, if you like, has started to talk about the reality that people who are getting Omicron, even if they're in hospital and they might have got Omicron, you know, after going into hospital, Mm. of course, the sort of from and with dilemma that we talk about a lot. They're not on ventilators. They're coming out again and they're perfectly fine. I think it's very hard to unequivocally link any deaths so far to Omicron in absolute cause and effect way. And I think people are starting to discuss among themselves 
in polite society, is this really as bad as the government and the people on SAGE are saying? And the prospect, I think, of a third school year in a row being wrecked now is looming large. And I think you know, people we've spoken to from Us For Them, fantastic campaigning mums like Molly Kingsley uh, and others who have been banging on about this for months and years now, I think they're now being joined by, you know, less driven, more moderate, if you like, people who are saying, this just isn't justified to wreck my kid's education for another few months. Given that people who are getting Omicron, they're not dying, they're not even suffering very much in the vast, 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 vast majority of cases. And you and I have been saying for many, many months that we should have more focused protection along the lines of the Great Barrington Declaration, even with earlier variants of COVID, which were obviously much more deadly than Omicron. And I think that is now entering the mainstream far, far more than it was, not just mainstream newspapers, mainstream commentators, among whom we felt pretty alone, but also even, (laughs) incredibly, the mainstream broadcasters too. And it's the mainstream broadcasters, the people that run the tea time news shows, they have massive influence. Even in this world of very strong newspapers and social media and Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it, the vast majority of people still get their news of the day from tea time terrestrial television. And I'm starting to see a change among the attitudes of the leading correspondents and producers, many of whom I know very well, even among those mainstream broadcasters. I think that's true, Liam, but but we're also saying we had this week press briefing of doom from number 10, sort of same old, same old. Boris said that the NHS was on a war footing. We've got some absolutely riveting data from George, our NHS England source, later. But there's a very strange tension going on here because they don't want us to relax and think this is actually what it is now, which is mainly a cold for most people. But they are then slightly starting to lift measures which suggests that they know full well that it's not as bad. So PCR tests, just as we're recording this, they've said that PCR tests are going to be ditched for travellers arriving in the UK. We've also got the news that asymptomatic people, that's people with no symptoms, who test positive with a lateral flow test will no longer need to confirm with a PCR test from the 11th of January. And honestly, co-pilot, you know what that is, don't you? Basically, we've got this absolute, you know, dreadful staff shortages everywhere. They can no longer justify people taking that secondary test and being off work. We've already seen the reduction in the quarantine time, the self-isolation time from 10 days, a ludicrous 10 days to seven days. It's actually five days in other countries. I think we should certainly take ours down to five days. In fact, I don't think anyone who seems perfectly well should be taking a test because this is now a pandemic of testing. It is absolutely not a pandemic of illness. I mean, the number of tests that the UK is taking is absolutely incredible. And I cited some of the figures 
earlier on. I've literally got our world in data, my little dashboard, which I look at every day in front of me, and I'll read you out the latest numbers. <laughs> you sad man. I, I am a sad man, just in case anybody <laughs> wants to query what I'm saying. So the latest comparable data, the UK was doing 20.84 tests per thousand people per day. The United States was doing 4.45 tests per thousand people per day. And the Germans were doing 2.71 tests per thousand per day. So get that. Germany, 2.71 tests per thousand per day. The United Kingdom, 20.2 tests per thousand people per day. And if you look at the numbers, the rate of positivity of those tests in Germany is much, much higher than the UK. But of course, because we're doing so many more tests, 10 times more, Boris, listen, 10 times more tests in the UK than in Germany per thousand people. That's why our cases are so high. When, when, when is a lobby correspondent going to say to the Prime Minister or Jonathan Van Tam or Chris Whitty, why are we doing 10 times more tests than Germany? Well, I had a dream a couple of nights ago, you'll love this, where I was actually at the press briefing and I was called <laughs> to ask a question. I was brilliant. <laughs> of course you were. I got a bit emotional, as you can imagine. <laughs> I addressed a question to the Prime Minister, asking him how identifying 100,000 key workers essential for the running of the country, who are now, can you believe this, Halligan, are going to be tested every single day. Our 100,000 most key workers are going to be tested every single day with a lateral flow test. I mean, you, you really can't make this stuff up. Yes, and I had a question for, of course, Professor, now Sir Chris Whitty, and for Patrick Valance. But of course, we won't ever be allowed in to ask any of the questions because they might actually elicit some rather painful answers. Look, we're talking about, aren't we, about the year ahead. So I think we are beginning to see some very senior people, specifically scientists, starting to distance themselves from lockdown. There's a book coming out, I think you've probably seen about it, called The Year the World Went Mad, a scientific memoir, and that's by Professor Mark Woolhouse, who is one of the country's leading epidemiologists. And Mark Woolhouse, who we would normally expect to perhaps be on the other side to planet normal, says rivetingly that the theory which was outlined originally by Michael Gove at a number 10 briefing was that everybody was at risk from the virus and that that was a terrible error. I think this is worth reading in full for Planet Normal listeners. In fact, we should try and get Professor Woolhouse on. He said the national lockdowns which followed were morally wrong and highly damaging. We did serious harm to our children and young adults who were robbed of their education, jobs and normal existence, as well as suffering damage to their future prospects while they were left to inherit a record-breaking mountain of public debt. All this to protect the NHS from a disease that is a far, far greater threat to the elderly and infirm than to the young and healthy. We were, says Professor Woolhouse, mesmerised by the once-in-a-century scale of the emergency and succeeded only in making a crisis even worse. In short, 
we panicked. Now, I would predict Mystic Pearson, looking into the crystal ball, would say we're going to see quite a lot of people disowning some of the actions of the past two years. Professor Francis Ballou, who I follow on Twitter, he's of UCL in London. He said he recordly, and this is really a good quote, that within a year or two, you wouldn't have any one of his colleagues who would claim to have supported the closure of schools. I think that's right. I think an awful lot of scientists are getting their spin in early, if you like, before this public inquiry and finding their voice. And it's not only that they're finding their voice, it's that the mainstream media is now gradually realising or being forced to acknowledge that there are many scientists beyond SAGE, scientists that you and I have championed personally and here on Planet Normal for months and months and months, who have very valid views, which aren't shared by, frankly, the bunch of sociologists on SAGE. Many of them, of course, are not very highly trained medical scientists at all. They're basically public sector denizens who like to serve on committees and get paid huge amounts of money from the public purse. I do think we're going to hit a bit of a political crisis as we look forward to 2022. In April, we're going to see the energy price cap lifted again. You're going to get people in ordinary three-bedroom semi-detached houses with annual energy bills in the thousands, starting with a two, a big multiple of where they've been in recent months. And I think that's going to be reflected in the local elections in May unless Boris really gets a grip of the situation. Inflation's going up a lot. It could be 6 or 7% by the middle of the year. And unless you get a 6 or 7% wage rise, and very few of us are lucky enough to get any kind of wage rise in the current climate when so many businesses are struggling, then cost of livings are going to be hammered. I mean, 6 7% inflation is a major hit. Of course, the public sector will get their pay rises, but 80% of us don't work in the public sector. We work in the private sector, in the real commercial world where money is much tighter. So I do think there is a sea change happening in public opinion and in the political environment. And we have had fraught politics, of course, for the last year or so. But I think domestic politics, if this cost of living crisis really does bite, if inflation really does bite, if energy prices really do spike, if trade unions, the medical unions, the teaching unions really do get stroppy and cause chaos, I think, Alison, domestic politics could be properly upended. Well, I've had my annual treat already, Halligan, and read the Liam Halligan Sunday Telegraph column. You know, I look forward to it once a year. (laughs) You know how devoted I am to your economics outpourings. Actually, it is brilliant, brilliantly prescient, because you were saying back in August that you were the first, weren't you, to to predict that we could be looking at a a winter of discontent. Something that jumped out at me, Liam, you were pointing out that Jim Callaghan was the prime minister then, wasn't he, in 78, 79. Now, Callaghan had only a minority government, so he didn't have much political leverage to push back against the trade 
trade unions who were then extremely strong in comparison to now. I think you said, was it a, a 50% of workers were in trade unions then? And I think it's it's down to a quarter now. But by contrast, our own prime minister, our own beloved prime minister, has got an 80-seat majority and trade unions are supposed to be far, far weaker than they were in that previous winter of discontent. And yet we see no sign of number 10, as you said before, pushing back against the medical unions and indeed the teaching unions who just seem to be consulted on what would you like us to do in order that you could get into the classroom and do your job. Just quickly, Liam, quite an interesting snap poll this week. Boris Johnson could lose more than 100 seats at the next general election as support for the Conservative Party falls in the red wall. A survey of 57 constituencies, which the Tories gained in 2019, found that 38% believed that Keir Starmer would make a better leader and 49% said they would vote Labour now if there was a general election, compared with 33% for Boris. So there's quite a lot of volatility in the polls. But as you say, that's going to be looking very interesting come May. And I do think that's going to be absolute do or die time for Boris, because if the Tories take a hammering in the local elections, then I think all the sort of leadership speculation will start to crystallise. I agree with that outlook. But before that, of course, we've got to get rid of this pandemic. We've got to return to some kind of normality. And I did wonder as I watched the latest Downing Street press conference, what George would have made of it. George, of course, our senior source within NHS England, he or she has full access to the internal data. We don't disclose George's identity, but we're confident of the authenticity of the statistics that George provides to us. That's why we report them. By definition, we can't independently verify them because we get them before they're published, if indeed they're published at all. Yes, well, obviously, this is a really critical week. And George came in with a fantastic report because there is so much contested data. As you just said, Liam, we were watching that Downing Street briefing on Tuesday when the Prime Minister said that the NHS would have to go on a war footing because, quote, hospital admissions are rising quickly. I put that to George, who said that the data shows that admissions are plateauing and inpatient diagnoses. What's my favourite word, Halligan? No secomial. (laughs) No secomial. (laughs) No secomial infections given to patients by our very own NHS appear to be declining. And then, of course, Professor, now Sir Chris Whitty, showed us one of his entertaining slides. And astonishingly to my ears, Chris Whitty said, I think the idea that Omicron is a milder variant with people less likely to be hospitalised is incorrect. Now, George then came back and said that although admissions have certainly gone up over the past 10 days, ICU occupancy remains as it has been for the past few months. There's been no increase in patients requiring high dependency care, which points to Omicron being far less severe than its predecessors. George adds that if the vaccines didn't work against Omicron, we would definitely be seeing more very sick patients by now, given that the cases started to spread to the older age group about three weeks ago. And currently, this is really telling, Liam, there's no NHS region that is at even half 
the COVID occupancy of last January and ICU occupancy is only a third of what it was this time last year. But of course, Planet Normal listeners will have seen the news is full of six NHS trusts declaring critical incidents. And I asked George about these critical incidents and George said, this critical incident is not quite the disaster it's hyped up to be. And George has looked for us at Blackpool and Lincolnshire NHS trusts, which have both declared critical incidents and says, yes, they have had quite a steady increase in COVID patients, but they had more than they have now just a couple of months ago. Of course, COVID will be the thing that gets blamed for these critical incidents because otherwise it's embarrassingly the same old winter story of the NHS not coping. And then George adds, you'll like this, Halligan, I don't know the exact criteria for triggering a critical care incident, but it is interesting that it happens on the very day that Boris and the Brothers Grimm were due to give a press briefing. Not that I want (laughs) to be cynical. Well, George... Anyway, just to end with some really good news, Liam, which you certainly won't be hearing on the BBC, the situation in London definitely seems to be stabilising. They are showing the most promising signs of growth in patient numbers is slowing down. But no region is currently seeing a decline, but the growth is slowing down. And George adds, we were told several weeks ago that by mid-January, the NHS would very probably see double the amount of patients in hospital as at the peak last January. Currently, no region is yet even at half the occupancy of last January. And ICU occupancy is a third of what it was this time last year. They're almost as accurate as Professor Neil Ferguson, aren't they, Halligan? (laughs) Incredible statistics from George Allison. We're so fortunate that we have this access to such a senior NHS insider who feels a responsibility, a compulsion to show us this data at key moments in our national debate. I think another bit of good news, Alison, is that the Six Nations Rugby Tournament starts very soon. It starts in February, actually, when Scotland and England play at Murrayfield. Indeed, on the 5th of February, that's when they're scheduled to play. Is Nicola Sturgeon really going to let the English... (laughs) come to Murrayfield and take on the Scots at rugby and not let home fans in to cheer on the boys in blue. I think not. And it's the same with England playing Wales at rugby in the Six Nations later in February. It strikes me that unless there's going to be a serious international incident, that those controls on crowds in Wales and Scotland will have to be dropped by then, barring some huge national emergency, of course, if only so the home fans can cheer on their rugby team against the old enemy. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, but my pals call me Chopper, and you can too. Just dropping into my second favourite podcast to tell you about another Telegraph show, mine. As a Telegraph's chief political correspondent, I spend my days holding politicians to account and asking them about the things that affect you. 
I speak to the top politicians from across the political spectrum, commentators with their finger on the pulse, and of course, my talented colleagues at The Telegraph. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, please search Chopper's Politics, wherever you're listening to this. Cheerio! Now, during this COVID pandemic, all kinds of people have come to public prominence, be they scientists, health administrators or campaigners. One person who definitely falls into the latter camp is Adam Brooks, a young publican from Essex who's emerged as a fierce and extremely articulate critic of various anti-COVID restrictions and particularly their impact on small businesses across the hospitality industry and elsewhere. Born to publican parents in Bethnal Green, East London, Adam grew up above various pubs and is now in the business himself. In a wide-ranging discussion, we covered COVID government policy and now almost two years into this pandemic, what an ordinary bloke like Adam now thinks of the UK's political and media class. I started by asking Adam Brooks about the current state of his business. Currently, for the last few years, I've been running two pubs in Essex. I've got a little backstreet sort of boozer type called the Three Colts. And I've got a, a nice family-friendly, dog-friendly sort of pub restaurant right in the middle of Epping Forest, and that's called The Owl. So, yeah, things, we're surviving. I've, I've got two good pubs. I've got a lot of local support. So, you know, I'm, I'm faring better than many, many publicans out there. And really, a, a lot of my fight that I'm, I'm doing online is for the industry and the jobs rather than a selfish sort of, you know, obviously I, I do need my business to feed my family and, 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 and my future, but, you know... I'm more perturbed by what's happening to my my industry and the jobs and and the families that that support, really. Now, obviously, you're all about providing for your family. You've got three kids. You've been in the pub trade for a long time. But also during lockdown, you've become a very articulate sort of campaigner for less restrictions, for fewer anti-COVID measures, if you like. How did that happen? Well, do you know what? In the early days, Liam, I was very supportive, to be fair. And it was unknown. A lot of people were scared. And, you know, including many of my family, older people in my family, you know, I went along with it. And I was even praised by some politicians and things for the messaging that I was putting out there. But I think really what sort of turned is when they started longing out the lockdown and they couldn't explain why the pubs couldn't open in the summer in, in 2020, it was really damaging. I was, I was getting a lot of calls from people in hospitality and, and especially my staff, and you know, and some of my staff were off asking for loans to cover their family bills and such. And it just really sort of hit home the damage that we was doing with these lockdowns and these restrictions. And I mean, as we went into sort of winter 2020, we was getting these press conferences again the doom mongering, the scaring of the public. And I think it was around November 2020 when we had that press conference of doom, I call it, where Witty and Valance literally showed a graph that looked like a rocket was going to the moon, you know, and told us everyone was going to die if we didn't do this and every, everyone was going to go to hospital. And I managed to speak to quite a lot of very, very clever people on Twitter and online, you know, professors that have advised governments in the past, doctors that have, you know, have have been on medical boards and such. And it was so obvious that these predictions or these projections that SAGE 
and the CMOs were saying were so wrong and they were they were designed to scare and, and cause fear. And, you know, ever since then, I just can't let it go, Liam. I can't sit back and allow, really, government and their scientists to petrify people without sort of scientific evidence that they're right, you know. And I, I don't know why I've got such a following with this. I really just want clarity and I want... I want the truth out there. You know, we we know COVID can cause serious problems. We know it causes death and we know the problems it causes, but we just need some transparency out there. And I fear the media are doing the government and the, and the scientists' jobs for them a lot of the time. And we're not getting the true picture, which, funny enough, is starting to come out now. So I've been quite consistent all the way through of just wanting the truth out there, Liam. You know, some of these huge numbers that are bounded about or some of these restrictions that are, are imposed, especially on my industry, they haven't got a lot to back those up. They're guesswork. It's guesses. And a lot of those guesses have been found to be wrong and not just just a little bit wrong, a lot wrong. You have indeed built up a huge following. You've got over 200,000 followers on Twitter Adam, which puts most journalists to shame. You've emerged as a sought-after commentator in this area. What has the government's response to COVID and the media's response to COVID done to impact your opinion of our political and media class? You're a kid who was born in a publican family in Bethnal Green, East London. You're not part of the political media class with all due respect to you and I have huge respect for you Adam as I hope you know but what's an ordinary kid from East London's view now of the clever people who run politics who run the media in light of how we've responded well if, if I'm honest over the last two years at some point I've, I've actually felt that maybe I could I could do a little job in in politics you know I, I could get involved and and maybe help change things. But at this moment in time, Liam, I'm quite disgusted with how politics and how a lot of politics and and media have behaved over the last year at least, you know. And it's opened my eyes to how easy it is to manipulate people in this country and how, how out of touch some of these Eton types or even well-educated MPs can be with the constituents that they represent. I often make the joke on Twitter that, you know, you're not going to get that much from, from Maureen at a coffee morning, you know, to what's going on in people's everyday lives. You've got to go out on the streets. You've got to go on the high roads. You've got to go in the pubs. You've got to speak to people to, to hear their troubles, to hear their worries not just, you know, the coffee and cake set that many of these MPs and, uh, and people probably mix in uh, to get their views. But certainly with the media, Liam, I think, again, a lot of it's coming out now that some of the things that they should have been reporting on was brushed under the carpet. I mean, I've been talking about COVID deaths with and of probably for 18 months. You know, I, I've been been saying how the figures can be manipulated or misrepresented, maybe not manipulate, misrepresented in the way that they're put out. Uh, and we get these scary headlines uh, sometimes from some of some of the media outlets. Look, oh, I've got GCSEs. I'm not, you know, if, if someone wanted to have a, a, a debate with me on numbers and calculations, 
I'm going to look pretty silly pretty quickly. But the basics I know and, and, and I listen to people, again, that have advised the government, have, have got the qualifications to do, and I make up my mind that way, Liam. And, you know, it's not hard. It really isn't hard. And I, I think what we've seen in the last week is some of the true figures and the true basis of, uh, of the way that these figures are, are worked out. It's coming out and more people now are realising that, you know, a lot of these deaths haven't been of COVID. They've been with COVID or a lot of these admissions into hospitals are because of a positive test within the last 14 days. And yes, they've broke their leg or they've had an operation on their tonsils or, or something else. But they're now a COVID admission and more people are interested how we've got to this point where it's taken two years of scary numbers and scary headlines for the truth to come out. And I think the media have got a lot to answer for for that. And they can't just sort of flip on a dime because it suits them for this pandemic to be over soon. You know, this is the sort of impression that I get. Do you suspect, Adam, that quite a lot of the media, quite a lot of civil servants, quite a lot of scientists who are being given a platform by the government, do you think they quite like lockdown? Do you think it appeals to them personally in the sense that it actually makes their lives sometimes a bit easier, a bit more interesting, gives them a public platform? What I try and do sometimes is prompt them on Twitter and, and online, say, why are you not mentioning this? Why are you not mentioning that? And they just don't. They don't mention the good news. And it's either a personal state of fear where they're so wrapped up in this COVID bubble that they are scared or it is literally that they are being directed and used as a tool by the government or or, or certain civil servants you know so it's a shame that uh, some of these journalists and uh, presenters are, are doing that because it, it really does confuse the public in, in my opinion. Let me ask you Adam what it means to you to be in business and why you are such a champion of business and why you feel the implications of lockdown for business to an extent that goes way beyond your own personal interest. The, the two pubs that you run, you've got the Owl in High Beach in the middle of Epping Forest, then you've got the Three Colts, of course, which you run with the help of your mum, Barbara. You're a lad from Bethnal Green in East London. You're a decent boxer, but instead of going pro... I you- wouldn't say that. I'm not a decent boxer. <laughs> I've done a bit in my time, but I definitely wasn't the. De- uh, I, I I know York Hall well, that part of London. Charlie Magri's shop is just there on the high street. A lot of great boxers come from Bethnal Green over the years. You've decided to be in business, though. What does it mean to you to be in business, to make payroll, to provide jobs for local people? How offended do you become when, in your view, thoughtless actions from governments and scientific advisors destroy business, destroy wealth, destroys people's livelihoods? Look, again, we've, we've got to, um, to realise that we've got a certain section of scientists that are calling restrictions protections, which is quite insulting, to be fair. I mean, you know, they're a well-known group all over the media and, and, and they want more of these so-called protections. But what they never talk about is the damage that these restrictions do. Look, I'm so passionate about hospitality and pubs because my dad was a publican he's no longer with us and he lost his life in our pub you know when I was growing up 
I always vow to sort of go into the same trade. And that's what I've, I've done. And, and, and a lot of the fight that I'm doing is because I know my own dad would, would have done this. You know, he, he wouldn't have backed down from, from this fight. Now, w- when we go back to hospitality, people seem to, oh, you know, they're always moaning. Oh, it's just a pub. It's just a restaurant. It's just a cafe. Six million jobs rely on hospitality. You know, I think it's a million for bars and, uh, and pubs alone. It's the supply chains, the butchers, the suppliers, you know, the uh, the greengrocers, the taxi cabs, the, you know, people people go and get their hair done to go out. The, the, the chain and the knock-on effect to hospitality is in the millions of people and, and, the, and, and the millions of jobs that, that that provides. Now, what what gets me, Liam, is when people don't realise what these restrictions do. You know, if hospitality was to fail a large chunk of the economy could fail. That has a knock-on effect to other industries. And, you know, it wouldn't take long for the economy to collapse if hospitality collapsed. So people don't understand the consequences of these restrictions. Now, if some of these restrictions made a lot of sense, then we wouldn't be so angry. But I spent a lot of last year and the year before fighting these restrictions because they just didn't make sense. You know, we had masks to walk to tables and then you take them off and you'd be all right for a couple of hours and then you'd have to put the mask back on to go to the toilet i call it on off on off on off mask wearing it's utterly ridiculous when you think you haven't got it on for most of the time what is putting it on to go to the toilet gonna do we had a curfew at 10 o'clock that myself and others like Sasha Lord uh, tried to get the government to pull because... Sasha Lord advocates for nighttime industries up in Manchester, doesn't that's, he? That's it. You know, I, I've become good friends with Sasha because we've got that same fight. You know, going back to these these restrictions, none of them made sense. And it makes you wonder how many lives could these have saved? You know, putting a mask on and off for out a visit. These one-way systems, these plastic screens... It's almost like COVID theatre and no one could give us an impact assessment as to, you know, what, what impact would these have altogether? How much are we helping? Because you're certainly hurting our business. And I, I remember the night that they brought in the curfew, 10 p.m. curfew and the mass trade halved overnight. You know, people didn't want that fuss, Liam. They didn't want to have to come to a pub and feel like they were being ordered to do this and that. People come to a pub to relax. They come to a pub to socialise. It's an extension of their home, an extension of a front room. Uh, you know, it's a public house. That is where the term comes from. It's a, a house where the public come. All these restrictions, all they seem to do, and, and, and I wonder whether it was through design, was just put people off because we couldn't make sense out of what they was trying to achieve via these restrictions because they, they didn't make sense. We, we warned them about the curfew, that it would displace people onto the streets, it would displace people into homes. It fell on deaf ears. And as soon as it came in, we see the pictures, didn't we, uh, on the media of huge crowds outside venues. We was hearing of house parties and whatever. And when Dominic Raab was questioned on that and asked what evidence he had that the, the curfew would work, he cited Belgium. They didn't have any evidence. They just basically said Belgium did it, so we thought it was a good idea. This is what the government have done all the way through. They're hunches and guesses, uh, and I feel like they're they're out of touch with people's behaviour in society. Final question, Adam. I mentioned your mum, Barbara, and you mentioned 
your dad, who was tragically murdered while defending customers in a pub he was running many years ago. Do you think of him when you're fighting for your business, for your industry, for common sense? Is he on your mind? Yes. He's on my mind every day, and he has been for the 20-odd years. You know, I haven't seen him. Look, I went into this trade because of him. You know, growing up, your dad's always your hero, isn't he? And then after what happened when he was he was taken away from us, I always vowed at one point to have my own pub and basically put up two fingers to those that did it and showed that our family doesn't, you know, we don't run away. Yeah, you know, he was a fighter. He had over 350 uh, amateur boxing fights. So, you know, and he was a popular man. He was a gentleman. And the stories that a lot of his, his friends that are still about tell me, it makes me proud to, you know, be his son. So, yeah, the, the, one of the reasons why I do this is I know he would be doing that. You know, he his life was pubs. I, I lived above pubs most of my childhood. Uh, I have good memories of living above those pubs. And, yeah, again... It, it is one of the reasons why I do what I do. And, and I'm, I'm determined to see it out to the end and hope a bit more common sense prevails. And look, at the moment, it looks like the government are listening to people. Maybe they're not listening to myself and others, but they're, they're listening to someone because at the moment they are acting with a bit more common sense and they have let us off with further restrictions. Let's let's just hope the calls for more restrictions goes away and, uh, and and this year is a little bit better, Liam, to be honest. Well said, Adam Brooks. Well, Alison and I are delighted that you've joined us on the rocket of right thinking to Planet Normal. We're proud of the campaign you're, you've been doing and I'm sure wherever he is, your old man is too. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Oh, that's a lovely interview, co-pilot. I have to say that I'm a huge fan of Adam Brooks. I hope that for Planet Normal listeners, they got his qualities. He's been, I think, an ordinary hero of the pandemic. I mean, Adam says modestly that he's only got GCSEs, but he's learnt, he's studied He's familiarised himself with this science, which, you know, to which, let's let's be honest, most of us were strangers to this kind of area for so long. But I think Adam puts most journalists to shame and he epitomises the, the British spirit, which I think has just been subsumed in nonsense, irrelevance, and let's face it, lies, Liam. And for him to say to you, he to said to you, he's quite disgusted with how politics and the media's behaved, talking about how out of touch MPs are. By the way, the only thing I didn't agree with was him just, you know, picking on Etonian MPs. I think it's even more striking is how out of touch Labour MPs have been in failing to represent the interests of ordinary working people who, you know, have been the most badly damaged by the pandemic. But there we have Adam, who can see a common sense, normal, regular guy who can see that some of these restrictions on his pubs make no sense. Wearing the mask to come into the pub, wearing the mask to go to the toilet, all as he says, utterly ridiculous. And I think it's just one of the stories of the pandemic is that People like Adam and people like us, actually, but it is actually our job to, to, to do journalism. But Adam has had to come forward and, and, and you can hear the fight in his voice, can't you? You can hear that great East End spirit. 
You know, Alison, I've been lucky enough to be educated at some of the world's leading universities. And this bloke is right up there among the smartest people I've met, I have to say. You think of the exquisitely educated people we know across British journalism, the, the money and resources that have been lavished on their grey matter, and yet they <laughs> fail consistently to ask the most screamingly obvious questions when given access on live television to the person who leads our country. And you've got a bloke who's you know trying to keep a business together, helped by his mum, the memory of his departed father who was basically murdered in a pub uppermost in their minds as they try and drive their business forward and keep their employees paid. And yet with a mobile phone and a lot of determination, he's amassed an absolutely huge following on social media. And he has been one of the government's most effective critics. He literally takes ministers on. He takes he leading journalists on, on Twitter. He has no fear. He is exactly the kind of bloke who you would want next to you in the trenches. And he's exactly the kind of bloke upon whose shoulders Britain has enjoyed success and built wealth over many centuries. I think he's an astonishing man. Yes, I think we were very lucky to, to get him on. And, you know, as he says, simple questions like, why, why couldn't he open his pub in the summer? Why couldn't he? There, there was no reason. And I think we have to contrast, Liam, don't we? The guys on Sage, these nerds, the mathematical modellers, who are making decisions, well, basically forcing ministers into making decisions, which impact on the lives of people like Adam, guys and women and men in his trade, you know, having these absolutely ludicrous diktats handed down from on high. I mean, you remember whether if you had to have a scotch egg in a pub because then it could look like a substantial meal. I mean, the wet pubs, the boozers that Adam would know very, very well, which wouldn't normally make any money from food, were having to employ chefs around the back to sort of make stupid snacks to look like they were serving food. Moving from Adam, do you want my numpty of the week? Go on then. So just to compare with Adam Brooks, here is Sir Frank Atherton, Chief Medical Officer for my own native Wales, who literally said this week it would make society safer if people carrying infections followed a COVID-style isolation process, even once the current wave of the pandemic has subsided. And Sir Frank said, Liam, can you believe this, that looking beyond the current wave, whether it's flu or the common cold or coronavirus, we probably need to move to a position where anybody who has a viral infection of that nature self-isolates for a few days just to stop it transmitting. I think we would be safer as a society. And honestly, co-pilot, this is what we are up against. We've got the people like Adam Brooks who need to make a living. He employs 30 people. He can't afford to have members of his staff off because isolating to create a perfectly safe society as envisaged in the ivory tower of Sir Frank Atherton when people have to go into work and make a living and generate money so we have an economy from which money can be sent to pay people like Sir Frank Atherton. So numpty of the week. A, a, a deserving candidate, I think, co-pilot. I think in this regard, <laughs> as in so many, Alison, your judgment is spot on. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Okay. 
Now on to our emails, the fantastic messages which we get from our Planet Normal listeners. Please keep them coming. We've had many emails from parents about the situation as their kids return to school. Mother of Twins says, not long ago, schools were closed when the heating failed. I have literally been told today to send my two kids in with coats and hot water bottles. Can people not see how ridiculous this is? Have we really decided that any level of stupidity is acceptable as long as the teaching unions are happy. I do think that is true, co-pilot. I do think Mary Busted and Kevin of the National Education Union are basically dictating this lunacy so their members feel safe. And Ian says, I have just received the return to school letter from my son's school. My word, you would think nothing had changed over the last two years. Written in red, you must wear a mask. You must wash your hands. It's as though Ebola has surfaced. I can't feel easy until all these inhuman requirements are lifted for our children. I really want the Tory party to get a grip, but I'm not convinced. Here's Mike. All the woes of our sacred NHS ultimately come down to one thing, a shortage of medical staff and homegrown ones at that. Find out the real reasons why more doctors and nurses aren't going into training here in the UK and fix them immediately. Repeal all net zero legislation and give up on the idea the UK has to lead the world on a virtue signalling economic suicide mission to save the planet. After all, no other major economic bloc is going to follow our futile gesture, except perhaps the EU and we fought to get away from them. Bring in legislation to permit fair and reasonable public protests, but not such that it prevents any other persons from going about their lawful business or impinges on their human rights. That will do for starters, says Mike. Best wishes for Planet Normal in 2022. Karen, an NHS nurse, says, My 18-year-old son took a lateral flow test this morning for cold symptoms unknown to me at the time, and he tested positive. The policy of the NHS trust I work for is if I live with the person who has tested positive, I have to get a PCR to go back to work, despite my own lateral flow being negative. As of now, no walk-in drive-in tests are available in the whole of England. I am refreshing the appointments page every 10 minutes or so. The 15 patients I am due to visit today are currently being shared out between my already depleted colleagues due to this absurd policy. Meanwhile, I continue to click refresh. It really is ridiculous. By the way, I'm on a zero hours contract, so I won't be paid. Wish I hadn't reported my son's positive test. Goodness me. This is from Keith. Dear Alison and Liam, I've worked as a consultant surgeon in the NHS for many years. Retirement's given me time to reflect on the organisation which is failing to respond to the health needs of the British public who pay increasingly large sums of money for it. The current problems of lack of intensive care capacity, long waiting lists and poor patient communication and sometimes a lack of empathy are not new. They've existed throughout the 37 years I worked in the NHS. The problems won't be solved by pouring more money into a poorly managed and dysfunctional organisation that often puts its own welfare above that of its patients. Kind regards, Keith. Nick says, 
You know the country has lost the plot when a bin man tells you that all last week and yesterday, the workforce was present, being paid triple time. But today, back to normal wages, nine out of 45 bin men were off isolating with COVID. I'm sorry to say that even my own daughter's positive PCR result went in yesterday, ready for her public sector job to be avoided. And Ian comments, the madness that surrounds us with a continuing farce of our response to the latest Omicron or winter cold variant. As usual, the gallant warriors of the public sector lead the charge into the guns of self-isolation and the chaos that ensues. NHS staff, binmen, train crews, police, all at home nursing their Omicron sniffles. Rather odd that this bug does not seem to affect soldiers who seem to be on a permanent standby to replace the rather less robust civilian workforce. Also, I noticed that over the festive period, all Premier League football stadiums were 99.9% full to capacity. Rather odd that, don't you think? The BBC would not like the thoughts about shirkers that are crossing my mind. Keep up the good work on Planet Normal. And finally, Kate observes that Sir Keir Starmer has tested positive again for COVID. I think it's the sixth time. I expect, says Kate, he got it from sitting on the fence. I would have expected Sir Keir to sanitise the fence before sitting on it. Very well said. So that's it from Planet Normal for another week as we leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our flying refuge of reasoned views. If you enjoy Planet Normal, leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps our Planet Normal family to grow. And as we speed away from our beloved Planet Normal and the madness of Planet Earth comes back into view, thanks as ever to our producers, Isabel Bouchard, Louisa Wells, Elliot Lampitt, our editor, Theodora Leloudis, say safe and in touch with us and with each other. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Salim Halligan. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. <laughs>